0: Hello everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast episode number 335. Today's big Bible questions: Does the Bible have deep and mysterious hidden meanings? Plus, what does the parable of the good Samaritan mean? Well, happy US Thanksgiving everybody. A bit of a short episode today and we'll be reading 1 Chronicles 22, Micah chapter 1, Luke chapter 10 and 1 Peter 3. Our focus will be on Luke 10, but one brief word from 1 Peter 3.9, which says, "'Don't pay back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called to this, so that you may inherit a blessing.'" Brothers and sisters, there's going to be times in our life when people unfairly insult us, harm us, attack us, or do other sorts of evil to us. If you ever want to know how to respond to such things, maybe bookmark 1 Peter 3, 9 in your mind. We don't pay back evil for evil or insult for insult, but we are a people of blessing. So let's talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. One of the simplest and most well-known parables of Jesus, and one that is so clear in its meaning, that the thicky disciples didn't even have to ask Jesus what he meant by it. Sometimes we preachers and scholars can complicate that which should be plain and simple. And an example of this can be seen from many of the early church fathers who struggled with this parable, perhaps because it was just so clear and simple. Maybe they wanted more. Augustine and Origen and many others of them kind of went way beyond what was written. For instance, Origen, writing in the 200s about the parable of the Good Samaritan, wrote, The man who was going down is Adam. Jerusalem is paradise and Jericho is the world. The robbers are hostile powers. The priest is the law. The Levite is the prophets and the Samaritan is Christ. The wounds on the Person is disobedience. The beast that the Samaritan put the man on is the Lord's body. The inn, which accepts all who wish to enter, is the church. The manager of the inn is the head of the church to whom its care has been entrusted. And the fact that the Samaritan promises he will return represents the Savior's second coming. Now, I don't believe that is what is going on here. Rather, it is as simple and clear as it appears to be. So let's read the chapter and then we will briefly discuss what's going on with the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, We are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No! You will go down to Hades.' Whoever listens to you listens to me, whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he said to them, I watch Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy... Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Then, turning to his disciples, he said, Privately, blessed are the eyes that see the things you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, but didn't see them, to hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him, How do you read it? He answered, "'Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself.' You've answered correctly, he told him, "'Do this, and you will live.' But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, "'And who is my neighbor?' Jesus took up the question and said, "'A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead.' A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy on him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think it's crystal clear. Are there super secret and hidden messages and mysterious codes and things like that in the Bible? Look, I suppose it's possible. But honestly, I'm very skeptical, particularly about Bible code stuff. Now, I'm not saying we understand all of it. I definitely think there's some things in there, including every one of the parables pretty much, that is difficult to understand. But what we read earlier from Origen and even how Augustine interpreted the parable of the Good Samaritan, I honestly think we're going way too far. I think we would do well to devote ourselves to understanding the clear meaning of Scripture rather than looking for like really, really deep and hidden meanings. Nehemiah chapter 8 gives us a great look at what exactly preachers and teachers of the Word of God should do. So Nehemiah 8, 7, and 8 lists a group of people who were Levites and says they explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Will people think you're a super genius when you as a Sunday school teacher or pastor or evangelist or whatever does does the same thing? Will you sell millions of books and become a celebrity simply from reading the word of God to people and explaining the meaning so that they can understand the word? Eh, maybe not. But that's what every preacher and teacher must do. And we see in Nehemiah 8.12 the result of a ministry like that because it says all the people began to eat and drink sin portions and have a great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them. I hope that's good enough for me and for you. Any of those of you who teach the Word of God for uh, to others, I think that's a great thing to hope for, that they would understand it and that they would celebrate because they understood it. One could spend years trying to puzzle out the hidden codes or secret symbolism of all the passages in the Bible, but... I think if we did that, we would, like, miss the main point, and the main point is the most important thing, and I believe the meaning of the Good Samaritan is basically as plain as the nose on my face. We see it in Luke ten thirty seven. Jesus told him, go and do the same. I'll say it again. Go and do the same. So what are we to do? What the Samaritan did. Spend our time, our money, our resources, and even risk ourselves to help our neighbors in need. Well, who is our neighbor? the person God puts in front of us that has a need. It is really very simple. Do this and you will live, says Jesus. We're to be a people of mercy because God desires mercy out of us and because God showed us mercy. Go and do likewise. And remember, for the Samaritan to show mercy, it wasn't just a feeling in the pit of his gut that moved him to a tear as he drove by or saw something, somebody in great need. It was action, action, action. Mercy is action. By the way, if you or I need any more motivation to this sort of ministry, Do remember that the true and ultimate and greater good Samaritan is the one who saved you and I when we were naked and bleeding and not half dead, but all of the way dead in our sins, as Brother Spurgeon reminds us when he says, The Samaritan is a model for those who would help the afflicted, but we even have a higher model, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was not preaching about himself here at all, but we may illustrate our Lord's goodness by it. This is a picture of a generous-hearted man who cares for the needy, but the most generous-hearted man that ever lived was the man of Nazareth, and none ever cared for sick and suffering souls like he has done. The wounded man cannot blame himself for his sad estate. It was his misfortune, not his fault. But you and I are not only half-dead, but altogether dead in trespasses and sin, and we have brought many of our ills on ourselves. The thieves that have stripped us bare are our own sins. The wounds we bear have been inflicted by our own self-harming hands, our suicidal hands. We are not in opposition to Jesus Christ as the poor Jew was to the Samaritan. From the mere force of prejudice, but we have been opposed to the blessed Redeemer by our sinful nature. We have from the first turned away from him. We have in the past resisted and rejected him. The poor man did not put his Samaritan friend away, but we have done that in the past to our Lord. Wonderful love moved the Savior's heart when he found us in all of our misery and bent over us to lift us out of it, even though he knew we were, at the time, his enemies. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, let's keep reading over in First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 1. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to gather the resident aliens that were in the land of Israel, and he appointed stone cutters to cut finished stones for building God's house. David supplied a great deal of iron to make the nails for the doors of the gates and for the fittings, together with an immeasurable quantity of bronze and innumerable cedar logs, because the Sidonians and Tyrians had brought a large quality, quantity of cedar logs to David. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, in the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly great and famous and glorious in all the lands. Therefore, I will make provision for it. So David made lavish preparations for it before his death. Then he summoned his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. My son, David, said to Solomon, it was in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, but the word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and waged great wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed so much blood on the ground before me. But a son will be born to you. He will be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies for his name will be Solomon and I will give you peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son and I will be his father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you. And may you succeed in building the house of the Lord your God as he said about you. Above all, may the Lord give you insight and understanding when he puts you in charge of Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will succeed if you carefully follow the statutes and ordinances the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Notice I have taken great pains to provide for the house of the Lord. 3,775 tons of gold, 37,750 tons of silver, and bronze and iron that can't be weighed because there is so much of it. I have also provided timber and stone, but you will need to add more to them. You also have many workers, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and people skilled in every kind of work in gold, silver, bronze, and iron beyond number. Now begin the work and may the Lord be with you. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. The Lord your God is with you, isn't he? And hasn't he given you rest on every side? For he has handed the land's inhabitants over to me and the land has been subdued before the Lord and his people. Now determine in your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Get started building the Lord's sanctuary so that you may bring the ark of the Lord's covenant and the holy articles of God to the temple that is to be built for the name of the Lord. Micah chapter 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Micah the Morishite, what he saw regarding Samaria and Jerusalem in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen all you peoples, pay attention earth and everyone in it. The Lord God will be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is leaving his place and coming down to trample the heights of the earth. The mountains will melt beneath him and the valleys will split apart like wax near a fire, like water cascading down a mountainside. All of this will happen because of Jacob's rebellion and the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Isn't it Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Isn't it Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the countryside, a planting area for a vineyard. I will roll her stones into the valley and expose her foundations. All her carved images will be smashed to pieces. All her wages will be burned in the fire, and I will destroy all her idols. Since she collected the wages of a prostitute, they will be used again for a prostitute. Because of this, I will lament and wail... I will walk barefoot and naked. I will howl like the jackals and mourn like ostriches. For her wound is incurable and has reached even Judah. It has approached my people's city gate as far as Jerusalem. Don't announce it in Gath. Don't weep at all. Roll in the dust in beth Depart in shameful nakedness, you residents of Shaphir. The residents of Zanon will not come out. Beth-Ezel is lamenting. Its support is taken from you. Though the residents of Marath anxiously wait for something good, disaster has come from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the horses to the chariot, you residents of Lachish. This was the beginning of sin for daughter Zion, because Israel's acts of rebellion can be traced to you. Therefore, send farewell gifts to Morisheth Gath. The house of, uh, houses of Akzib are a deception to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror against you who live in Marashah. The nobility of Israel will come to a Shave yourselves bottled and cut off your hair in sorrow for your precious children. Make yourselves as bald as an eagle, for they have been taken from you into exile. 1 Peter 3, verse 1, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation." Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this So that you may inherit a blessing for the one who wants to live love life and to see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as wholly ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." For Christ also suffered sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as the removal of dirt from the body but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels authorities and powers subject to him amen and bless the name of Jesus well friends may it be a wonderful day of thanksgiving for you or if you are in the states Or may it be a wonderful day of joy for you wherever you are. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Good day and Godspeed.